Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I am Moana. Well, um, I'm very shiny. <laughs> Indeed you are. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm really good. How are you, Sam? Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad at all. Thank you very much. It's Friday. It's new Clash Day. So, yeah, all good. Friday night is Clash night. <laughs> Indeed it is. Although, it's Thursday morning for our listen. Ah, forget it. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could, it's the nature of podcasts. It could be Monday morning where you're listening to this. It could be any time. This could be your Saturday night. If you're listening to us on a Saturday night, though... Have a word with yourself. Yeah, you need to be questioning your life choices because listening to, to, to us pricks... Come on, you can do better. <laughs> Particularly after our top notch Ceausescu chat last week. <laughs> well, we'll see if we can um, we can bring in any like any number of dictators because I have actually started listening to a podcast <laughs> about dictators. Brilliant! <laughs> Can't wait. wait until I get on to me big Turkmen bashy chat. <laughs> See, I was thinking of editing this out, but I'm not going to now. <laughs> anyway, we are into, what is it, the fourth Clash of Electro season? Yeah, that sounds good enough. It's your choice. What albums are we doing over the next two weeks and why? We're going to be going through um, Hot Chip's sophomore album, The Warning. And that will be up against uh, the Claxon's debut, uh, Myths of the Near Future. And the reason for the clash, well, firstly, because I, I wanted to try and bring our electro season kicking and screaming into the 21st century. And also, like at the, t- at the time these two albums came out, there was very much an NME-led movement or certainly categorization of some bands as what became known as New Rave. Mm. Now, whether this was an actual scene or it was just the NME trying to uh, come up with a label for some electro-based indie bands, there is some debate. I would say it's mostly, to be honest, NME-led. So it does make this slightly more of a tangential clash well it's a couple of things on the new rave tag actually i don't think it was entirely enemy led it was they were played a prominent part in it the enemy but i don't think it was entirely enemy led however the other thing i wanted to say just a point of order kev one of these albums is objectively not an electronic music album No, and I mean, like, that's the thing, is like, so it is categorised as an electronica album, but when we when we go through, well, it's not really going to give a shock that it's saying when we go through it, because it'll be next week's album. Yeah, exactly, it's, yeah. Yeah, the, the electro side of it is, is not as prominent as they would have you believe. <laughs> quite, quite so. But as you said, that's all for next week. But yeah, it, it's good. We haven't done many 21st century uh, album clashes. Uh, and for reasons we'll be getting into over the next, next couple of weeks, I am really glad you chose these albums to go through. And I'm looking forward to getting into them. Yeah, uh, me too. But before we do get into them... Do you have anything that you cannot get out of your head? So I don't have any shite stuck in my head, fortunately. 
Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, I do have some shite again. (laughs) (laughs) And yet again, it's my own fault. It's shite of my own discovery. And uh, you tripped into your own feces. Yeah, (laughs) almost. Yeah. (laughs) For reasons that will become clear, certainly on next week's show, I've gone down a little bit of a hole this week of listening to, let's say, Surprising cover versions of songs by artists that you wouldn't have expected to cover those sorts of songs. Okay, let's just say that. (laughs) I can't believe the sentence I'm about to say. I discovered that the Arctic Monkeys' breakthrough single, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, was covered by none other than the Sugar Babes. What? (laughs) Yep. Now, I'm not entirely certain which iteration of the Sugar Babes it was who covered it. There have been several. I think I've been in the Sugar Babes at least twice. Well, I mean, everyone knows that every... It, it's like national service in the UK. So if you're a woman, then you get called up to the Sugar Babes. If you're a man, you get called up to the fall. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so, right. So, full disclosure... I think the Sugar Babes did some absolute bangers. Yeah, I think Angels with Dirty Faces is a really good album. Uh, their cover of I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, it's not an absolute banger. It's inexplicably bad, <laughs> as you would expect. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it's the greatest cover ever ever known, really. No. no. Um, so, yeah, not so much stuck in my head as, as you said, discovered by my own foolishness. Smeared on your brain. Yeah, but I felt I had to bring it to the pod's attention. Well, I, I think we, we can all say that we will all be making an effort to avoid that. <laughs> uh, okay, is there anything you want to give a tip of the hat to? So I've got something that's very esoteric, which will be right up your street. So I don't know how I came came across this. It's one of those weird sort of you start listening to something and then you click on a link and you click on a link. So it's a band called The Magnetic North. Now, they're no longer working. It's The band were made up of Simon Tong, who used to be in The Verve and Good, The Bad mm-hmm. and The Queen, Gawain Erland Cooper and Hannah Peel, who has sometimes done some stuff on Radio 6 Music. Um, has a program on Radio Three. Like I like Hannah Peel. Yeah. So all kind, all kinds of different things. They did a, an album about the Orkney Islands. <laughs> I mean, that's a sentence. It's... Oh no, I'm getting better here. There's <laughs> a lot to unpack there. They did an album about the Orkney Islands. Oh no, like as I said, esoteric as anything. This. So <laughs> they did an album in 2015, which was called Prospect of Skelmersdale. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. Everyone knows there are no prospects in Skarmersdale. And the album itself is a concept album based on how Scam became home to a transcendental meditation movement. <laughs> yeah, this is a deep cut. <laughs> so the song I want to point you in the direction of is uh, the song Signs taken from that album. It's a beautiful piece of dreamy pop. It's got a like sort of a public service broadcasting vibe as well because it's got Ooh. a an excerpt from a public information film about new towns. It's really good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed okay. it. It's the maddest album I think, or the maddest concept of an album I think I've ever come across. But it's great. Okay, brilliant. I, I'm I'm in all, all good things that you said there, I, and you know, with added skim. And you love a roundabout. <laughs> Uh, well there you go so yep i will be listening to that thank you very much 
So my tip of the hat is much less esoteric, but very new. So it is a song called Fuzz Jam by Australian four-piece psychedelic rock band The Lazy Eyes. So their debut album is due for release in March. And, well, a psychedelic uh, rock band doing a song called Fuzz Jam pretty much delivers exactly what it promises. And that ticks all my boxes. Yeah. Loads of fuzzy wah-wah guitar licks, a psychedelic vocal part, a really funky bass line that just earworms its way and just will not quit. It's great. Kev, you'll love it. And there's also a Boss remix called the Harvey Sutherland Extra Fuzz remix, which is also great. All kind of good things. I've been listening to some uh, Lazy Eyes this week. They're really good, and I'm looking forward to the album. Boss, I will definitely check that out because that sound, as you say, it sounds right up my street. And I like the sound of of a remix that has extra fuzz. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Okay, then. That is Can't Get You Out of My Head. Shall we go on to our Top Trumps game? I think we should. Okay, so you won for the first time in a while last week, uh, so it's you to lead us off. Okay, so I will open with sales. Okay. Myths of the Near Future had circa 350,000. Yeah, I didn't expect to do very well on that one. I mean, the warning did okay, around 150,000, but um, yeah, not not as well, so you have won that one. Okay, so charts, Mm -hmm. UK number two. Shit, number 34. US did not chart. Ooh, okay. So, The Warning charted at number 13 on the Billboard Electronic Albums chart. So, are we saying that one's a draw? I'd say that's a draw. Okay, fair enough. Okay, I'm pretty confident on my next category. Which is? Awards. Okay, well, we'll see how you go with your bravado. Okay, Mercury Prize winner 2007. I'm opening with that. (sighs) Shit. Mercury Prize nominee, 2006. Enemy Award Best New Band. Uh, Enemy Award Best Single. Enemy Award Best Album. Nope. And Ivan Novello for Golden Scans. <laughs> Fucking hell, wow. American Enemy Awards. Best New International Band. Best New International Live Act. Best International Track. So three American Enemy Awards. Yes. Uh, the only other thing I, I can offer, behind, besides what I've already said, is the video to Over and Over won two Antville Music Video Awards in 2007. No idea. That video should have won more awards. It, it's a really good video. It is a really good video. Uh, yeah, you have absolutely tanned my hide on that one. Okay. So what's that on scores? So I'm 2-0 two, two down after three? Yes. All right. So lists. I'm not as confident on this one. Okay. Where are you on lists? None. Oh, fuck you. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I am on some lists. The Warning was named as the 81st best album of the 2000s by Pitchfork and as the 93rd best album of the 2000s by Slant Magazine. So two lists there. So I guess I win that one. Indeed. All right. So I always like to leave scores for last. I'm 2-1 down with two categories to go and I'm not confident about the next one, but... As I said, I like to go scores last, so let's do certifications. The warning was certified gold in the UK, and that is all I have on that. Platinum in the UK, gold in Ireland. Shit. All right, so you've won, because I'm 3-1 down with only one to play. Uh, So you have won, so let's just do scores anyway. You lead us off. Okay. All music, three and a half out of five. Ditto. Rolling Stone, two out of five. 
Ooh, three out of five for the warning. NME. I mean, I think you can guess from the awards they were fans. Uh, <laughs> nine out of ten. Eight out of ten. So that we're still level then on this. Uncut, four out of five. Ditto. So it's all down to, well, I've got a pitchfork score of you. I've got a pitchfork score as well. Seven and a half out of ten. Yes, 8.1. Gets a consolation goal at the end. <laughs> Runs into the net, picks up the ball, legs it back to the yeah, centre circle. definitely. There's, there's still time. <laughs> well, I think those stats there are very indicative of the time that has passed and the way that these albums have been perceived in the subsequent years. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a very fair point. And obviously how, well, as we will get into, how um, each band's career progressed. Indeed. But as you said, that is for us to get into over the next couple of weeks. So should I start taking us through the warning? Yeah, I think, you, I think it's a good idea. All right. Okay. So, you well, just on on top trumps, you're on a good street. You've won the last two. So I know. Um, like after, after losing for weeks and weeks, um, I've managed to actually come up with a couple of victories. Yeah. I need to think very carefully about what I choose for our next clash because uh, I can't be having this <laughs> continuing. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So let's go through the warning by Hot Chip. So as you said, it's their sophomore album. It was released on the 22nd of May 2006 on EMI in the UK and on DFA and Astroworks in the US. It was recorded at Hot Chip's home in the London suburb of Putney and it was produced by the band themselves. So uh, as I usually do, I'm going to go back to the beginning of Hot Chip. So they formed in the year 2000 when Alexis Taylor and Joe Goddard, who had been school friends in Putney, they started collaborating and making music together. So there's an interview that I'm going to come back to a few times that Joe Goddard gave to Stylus magazine in 2007. He said, when it first started, it was just the two of us. We were 17 or something. It was just us two. Then Owen Clark, who plays with us, he started doing artwork for the group. He wasn't in the band, he just did the sleeves. But he was always around at my house, recording weird noises and just helping out. So then he joined the group about eight years ago. Then Al Doyle and Felix Martin, they joined about four years ago. We used to play shows at our school in the drama theatre, and then we started playing a few pubs in London, but we weren't playing much. Then we went off to different universities, so we would play gigs on the holidays. Then we came back together, and that's when things sped up. So, in the very early 2000s, they started basically putting out their own material through various independent labels. So, again, Joe Goddard, same interview. We put stuff out ourselves for a while. We took copies of things to Rough Trade in London and other shops that would buy five copies of your single to sell. There's one album that is really old called Felix in the Factory. There's probably 20 copies of that ever. And there's the Mexico EP, which there are probably a couple of hundred copies of as a Rough Trade single. So... That continued for a couple of years, just putting out their own stuff, literally, you know, recording stuff, sticking it onto a load of CDRs, taking it to independent record shops and going, right, here you go, will you stick this out for us? So that got them a little bit of an underground following, certainly around London. And in 2003, they signed with London-based indie label Moshi Moshi. They released their debut album, Coming On Strong, through Moshi Moshi in May 2004. It was pretty well received. But whilst it didn't chart, it was certified silver by the Independent Music Companies Association, so it had a fairly strong following on the indie scene. Yeah, like uh, 
certainly that album, whilst wasn't the huge commercial success, it certainly stamped them into the indie indie sort of reckoning that certainly around that time i certainly started to hear things about hot chip yeah absolutely so following the release of coming on strong they signed a deal with emi in the uk and and then a, a deal with dfa in london now as we said a couple of weeks ago when you had your can't get you out of my head pick dfa is the label that james murphy set up for LCD sound system, basically. So on, on that deal with DFA in November of 2005, Coming On Strong was released in North America. So again, Joe Goddard speaking about how that deal with DFA came about. It's an interesting story, this. He says, uh, we found out that James Murphy bought the down with Prince 12 inch from the Moshi Moshi website. We saw it was going to a studio in New York and it was bought by him. So we thought he was interested in the group. Then Alexis went to New York to visit his girlfriend who was studying here at the time and they just kind of bumped into James somehow and got to talk him. So they were interested in working with us and brought us over to New York at the beginning of 2005 and we recorded with them for a week in the studio. We did the remix of Just Like We Break Down at that time. We were talking with them about having them produce our next record, but after working with them, it seemed like we didn't really want to be produced by other people, and they didn't want to get in the way of us producing ourselves. So we didn't end up doing that, but we did end up signing with DFA in the States. Now, we'll get into this as as we go, but I wanted to read that, because I think even though James Murphy and the guys at DFA didn't contribute to the album, didn't produce the album, there's some tracks where you can definitely hear a DFA influence. Well, yeah, you can definitely tell that they are influenced by what DFA were doing. And certainly, well, there's an LCD sound system link in the band anyway, you know, and there's certainly a a lineage in like, well, not necessarily a lineage, but certainly a link between their sounds. I, I would say so. And certainly if you listen to Coming On Strong compared to this album, there is a definite progression. Um, and as you mm-hmm. said, a, a linearity between what LCD Sound System were doing, certainly on their first album or two to this. Uh, so anyway, in 2005, uh, Hot Chip, well, I say Hot Chip, actually just Joe Goddard and Alexis Taylor, they went back into the studio, well, their bedroom, <laughs> and started to work on what would become The Warning. So just on that, and on their recording dynamic compared to their live performances, Alexis Taylor, when interviewed by the Irish Times, he said Hot Chip had two different strands, one consisting of Taylor and Goddard who controlled the recording process, and a second involving all five members of Hot Chip playing live versions of their albums. I believe the two groups were needed to avoid delivering repetitive performances. You can do very different things in a room playing to people than when you're in a room layering sounds and getting embedded in production trickery. So very deliberate choice for the creative process. Even though Hot Chip as a collective are credited as the songwriters on every track, the creative process in terms of recording, certainly on this album, as it was on Coming On Strong, was the original twosome of Joe Goddard and Alexis Taylor in their bedroom. And we we get to have a lovely computer chat as we have previously. <laughs> the, so the recording of the album took place in Goddard's bedroom where he had an old Dell desktop that he bought maybe four <laughs> or five years ago. And they we finally have an electro album where there is a reference to a Roland. <laughs> um, 
So the album was recorded mostly like with live instruments, but also uh, vintage synths. So a Roland SH-101 and a Casio tone. <laughs> well, we'll get on to Casio on one of the, let's say, more well-known tracks on this album. Love the fact they brought a Casio tone in. <laughs> Do you think they did what Jean-Michel Jarre did and just pressed the demo button to get the rhythm? No, because they didn't have the Lemmings theme tune. <laughs> or Tetris. Or Sellotape. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's about all I've got on background, uh, unless you've got something else. No, there's there's not a huge amount of background on the recording of this album. Okay then, uh, so how, Kevin, did you first discover The Warning by Hot Chip? So, as I said, the previous album had been sort of knocking knocking about sort of the alternative radio stations the, or those alternative shows on mainstream radio stations. Mm-hmm. But it was the single that we will talk about over and over. Um, which brought them right to everyone's sort of attention, and like not long after that, I did I did listen to the album and yeah, in, and enjoyed it. Uh, okay, so mine, um, so my first introduction to Hot Chip, as you said, was when I heard Over and Over. So I'd heard of them, but I hadn't heard anything of theirs until I heard Over and Over, uh, and I really liked it. So I using the internet available to me at the time, acquired the album (laughs) around about the time it came out. I've got to be honest and say that at the time, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I I didn't dislike it, but it wasn't something which I revisited over and over again, if if you'll pardon the pun. So I was very glad of the chance to revisit it for this clash to see if my perception has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, well, I've, I've got to admit that whilst it, it was something that I listened to at the time when it came out, it's not an album that I've massively returned to. I've, ret- I've returned to other albums of theirs, but not necessarily this one. Uh, so I, I was quite, I was happy um, within this clash to, to go back and listen to something from that time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, should we do some artwork? Yeah, let's go. Let's go into it. Right. Okay. So it's designed as I referred to in that quote earlier, by band member Owen Clark. And, well, h- how would you describe the image? Um, so it's kind, of, it's kind of like a print, isn't it? It is. Uh, and it, it's like it, it's a print of what looks like 3D drawings of coloured wooden blocks with bits of different coloured card wedged into them. I, I don't know. Yeah, I it's... It's an an interesting shape in different colours that is repeat that is printed across across yeah. the album. Yeah, and that same imagery was used on the sleeves of all the singles for this album as well. Mm-hmm. So it's very much, very much of a theme. Um, we can't have any font chat either, Kev. No font at all. No writing at all on this sleeve. No. I don't really know what to think about this. It's quite a striking image, but I, I, I don't really have anything to say about it. I don't understand how it represents. The title of the album, it's a nice image. I, 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 I don't know, I'm at a loss. It's fine. It's not one of the most memorable ones that we've ever done. No, no it isn't. But it's not. It's also not shite. It's, it's fine. I think that's maybe the problem with it, is that it's neither rubbish nor really good. So, <laughs> it just So is. it's not that memorable. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> 
Very fair. Uh, okay, uh, so in that case, if it's not that memorable, shall we move on and actually start going through the tracks? I think we should. The warning. All right, okay. So we start with Careful, and it's quite the opening, starting yeah. with some swirling atmospheric synths. Then you get like a huge booming drum and bass style rhythm that just burst your eardrums well, if you've got headphones on and you've got them turned up loud it does <laughs> sort of then you've got some sort of proto dubstep noises that that, that come around it, we've said this a few times on album clash and this is another one it absolutely smacks you in the face this yeah it, it lulls you into a false sense of security with that sort of really gentle synth opening and then you get hit over the face with a massive wet fish that like yeah. completely wakes you up and go fucking out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and and again, this is a theme I'm going to come back to a few times as we go through this album. The sound of the song is at complete odds with the lyrical content. Well, I'll just read some of the lyrics. Every year, exactly this time of year, let go a balloon up into the air and hold on to one who is near. Remember, everything is here. Every year about this time of year, I am with you as if you are here. I remember the way it fell through, you and all we could do. So if you read the lyrics, it reads like a beautiful ode to mm-hmm. someone who has passed. But yeah, as you said, it's that it's that complete like smack you around the face, you know, knock your teeth out wall of noise that just hits you. So I really like how it completely throws you in the chorus and then it juxtaposes with that sort of lilting, soft synth sound. It, like, continually sort of knocks you off kilter. Like, you're not really sure where the song's going, and I like that. It makes it exciting because you're not quite sure that you can settle down at any point. Uh, Absolutely. So what what I've said is it eschews traditional song structures. This is not a verse-chorus-verse-chorus song. It's a bit manic and in a good way. Mm-hmm. In a way, it just it moves from one thing to the other. And yeah, like you said, there's there's some really I've said ethereal vocal harmonies, but they're also slightly discordant. It is another song. We, again, something we repeat ourselves a lot on Album Clash. You know this by now, guys. This one builds depth as it progresses. So in the second verse, you've got just a little subtle guitar part that comes underneath the the rhythm and gives it a bit more of an edge and then right at the end it just all breaks down <laughs> the beat just, just yeah a very arresting start and uh, one of which I'm quite fond yeah I, I really I really enjoyed this start because at no point did I feel comfortable and that that's a good thing yeah indeed uh okay shall we move on yes let's do it all right so track two is I was a boy from school This was the second single from Ray Album, released on the 8th of May 2006, and it reached number 40 in the UK. It sounds very, very different from what you've just heard with Careful. Mm -hmm. There's a really, what I think is a sort of a Daft Punk, Thomas Bangelter influenced riff that opens it up. You know, it's got a very much a music sounds better with you quality, that opening riff. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could imagine this being played in Ibiza at three in the morning as the sun's coming up. It's gorgeous. So I described it as having a great lo-fi groove to it. It's funky. 
the harmonies between uh, Goddard and Taylor are beautiful, amazing, almost like a lullaby. I think. Yeah, and like the thing, the thing is, is the kind of difference between their voices. So Joe Goddard's is much sort of deeper, has a lower burto, and Alexis Taylor's is a bit more falsetto, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and the two sounds work together in like brilliantly in beautiful harmony. It, they do. It's a lo- It's a lovely song. This, and as you say. You could see it being played at three o'clock in the morning with with the sun coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And you've so what else have you got in there? You've got a almost Maroda esque synth solo mm-hmm. part, which is almost like a you know theremin. And you've got some lovely xylophones in there to just add to that sense of it being like a almost like a lullaby. And it's another one where well the chorus is almost heartbreaking. We tried, but we didn't have long. We tried, but we don't belong. It, it, so it's about growing up and growing apart from people and letting go of, of, of youth. I love this. I love this a lot. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. It, you know, like we t- we've talked in previous weeks about perfect pop songs. This, this I, I don't necessarily think it's a perfect pop song, but it's a perfect song in my mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> Two things before we move on. It's been covered four times. Oh God! The only one I want to no, no no really terrible ones. There's a very surprising one, and the only one I want to call out. In 2013, it was covered by Tears for Fears. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, did not see that coming. Nope. Um, uh, Pitchfork listed it at number 29 in their list of top 500 songs of the 2000s, and the video, if you've seen it, is really really quite memorable. So it's it's inspired by Art Attack. Not that it's got like a that massive head on a plinth, <laughs> and it, it's not um, it's Banksy. not Banksy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like a there's a big sort of concept art project, and you see like the band lying on the floor singing it, and this thing's going on around them, and it like at the end it's like a real, well it basically appears to depict the rapture. You've got a huge big sea monster demon thing. You've got earthquakes and volcanoes going off. You've got angels flying around. Yeah, it's really good. It's a really yeah. good video. And as yeah, as you said, it is a lovely, dreamy slice of electropop. Yeah, perfect. Okay, should we go on to Colours? Yeah, let's go on to it. Uh, all right, so this was the third single. It was released on the 14th of August 2006. It didn't chart because the, um, the, uh, the, the various versions featured non-promotional stickers, and apparently that made it not eligible, like, seriously. The things well, we cho- choose to care about. <laughs> Fucking things the BPI chooses to care well, about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna come out. I adore this tune. I think it's it's it. So we said gorgeous, beautiful, lovely, and then some on this one. You know, this is just wonderful. So when it initially starts, wasn't quite. I wasn't sure about it. Ooh, okay. But when the beat drops, mm. absolutely reeled me in. And it has a beautiful simplicity to the, the sonic soundscape they make and how it develops and different elements sort of coming in and coming out. It's it, it's a great, great piece of work. As I say, and it I've got to give I've got to give Hot Chip so much credit that there's so many songs like this on the album. And the the opener is a perfect example where the uh, Ropadopia, you think yes. you think you're getting one thing and then this entirely different thing comes in and knocks you for six. Yeah, absolutely. 
You've pretty much said what I was going to say. Yeah, you've got the sparse organ with the vocal that starts things off. Then you've got the, the sort of offbeat rhythm that, that accompanies that. But then, yeah, like you said, that when as soon as the beat drops, it just it's life affirming. This it's joyous. Yeah, and it keeps dropping and coming back in. It's it, euphoric. I love it. I absolutely adore it. Yeah, it's and, great. And then you get a breakdown towards the end where you've got the sounds of synthesized bird song, which evokes thoughts of uh, of Morgan Spatziergang, obviously, that we covered a few weeks ago for, by Kraftwerk. Excellent pronunciation there. Thank you very much. So the general consensus is this is about being on drugs, and I can very much see that. Um uh, there's also a lovely mention of stickle bricks in the lyrics as well, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> which which does not get mentioned enough in modern popular music. Indeed, more stickle bricks, chat, please. <laughs> yeah, or or throw a bit of duplo duplo talking. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get more child childhood toys in. We t- we talked about speak and spell. <laughs> we did talk. We, yeah, we absolutely. Yeah, stickle bricks. Stickle bricks were good. You could you could make all sorts of good stuff with them. Although, like the ones that were proper sticks, they were hard to stick mm-hmm. to anything. They always fell off. Well, um, yeah, and but they were good to chew on. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back to drug references again. <laughs> Man, I was absolutely mulled last night. I was chewing me stickle brick off. <laughs> Ow. I, I I love colours. Uh, it's just, I can't... I'll bore people if I talk about the same things over and over. It's really good. like it a lot. Yeah, it's, it is really good. Okay, shall we move on to a song which people may be familiar with? Yeah, I think they might have heard this one. Yeah, so the next song is over and over. This was the first single from the album. It was released on the 21st of February 2006. It reached number 32 in the UK. It was then re-released in October of the same year where it reached number 27. So I'd say it's arguably their most famous song. As we said, it was certainly my first experience of, of Hot Chip. This is coming back to something that we mentioned when we went through Fat Boy Slim a few weeks back. That popularity was certainly helped by the fact that it's been on the soundtrack to loads of video games over and over, mm-hmm. including Project Gotham 4, Saints Row, and Forza Horizon. It's also been used in episodes of The Inbetweeners and American Dad. Yeah, as we said when we were, when we were talking about Fat Boy Slim, it's a way to get your material heard in a different way, if you like by an impressionable audience. Well, yeah, and as, as we've talked before, the, the people who are most likely to buy singles, at least, are usually the target audience for computer games. So mm-hmm. you're getting your, your music out to your target audience, essentially. Yeah. And as you said, the video is really, really good. It should have won a lot more awards. So it's, it's basically the band are playing against the green screen, and it's sort of part farce and part impressive special effects, really, because it, it switches between them actually playing against various backdrops, futurist backdrops uh, and the like, uh, but then it actually just switches to them just playing against the green screen with a load of people holding up weird props, and actually at one point the, <laughs> the stagehands are playing the instruments. <laughs> I know, I, lo- I, love, I love that. <laughs> and, um, and like... This was, well, as I said, my first introduction to them. And seeing 
seeing Joe Goddard and Alexis Taylor playing on this video, he just thought, these are nerds, but they're also cool as fuck. <laughs> yeah, then they're nerds, but they are like us. They've got a sense of, they've got a sense of humour. Like all there's so many sort of mad bits of stupidity in in the yep. video that it go yeah i like i like use yeah very much so okay so so uh, in terms of uh, the lyrics the enemy suggested that the lyrics laid back will give you laid back was and this is to quote them a thinly veiled raised middle finger to detractors who considered them too chilled and as i said if you listen to the first album it is a lot more laid back <laughs> than, than this is to be honest with you this is an absolute banger it is it's an indie disco staple yes it is it's an absolute classic it's got a great groove to it if you've not heard mm-hmm. i mean how have you not heard this but it's a brilliant song so can we talk about the words that that are spelled out the breakdown yes please <laughs> which which one do you want to bring sexing <laughs> Kissing, sexing, Casio. <laughs> Poke you, me, I. <laughs> it's sexing. <laughs> every time. Every time. Because <laughs> I, I can remember when, like, the first few times I heard it, I was like, hey, so that's definitely kissing. <laughs> S-E-X. Sexing. <laughs> what's, what's the next one? Sexing a Casio. I'm not doing <laughs> that. <laughs> Autophilia is when you're aroused by, by cars. Cars, yeah. So, so it's synthophilia? Cassiophilia? <laughs> Isn't that a star? <laughs> <laughs> it is by the time I've finished with it. Hey. I'd like to thank Richard Herring for that joke <laughs> in the year 1999. <laughs> uh, yeah, every time I hear sexing, the, the 13-year-old juvenile in me comes out, as it has done for the last two minutes. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you if you sex your Casio, then you're not gonna you're not gonna get the same sounds out of it. Maybe that's where Jean Michel Char needed his sellotape. <laughs> in his kitchen. <laughs> At least these two were in the bedroom. With Adele. It's a three-way. <laughs> With Adele? What are you suggesting? <laughs> I would make, I would like to make it clear for um, Adele's legal representatives that I am not claiming that she, Adele computer. <laughs> uh, oh, incidentally, you said indie disco staple. I've literally written those three words on my notes as well. <laughs> yeah. So I've made it there. Um, yeah, I can't say anything else. I, I think it's great. This is The last thing I will say, this is the first one where I can really hear the DFA influence. Mm-hmm. And it's hooky as fuck as well. It is. Massive earworm. Massive yeah. earworm. Great tune, love it, love it, love it. So we've we're four in, and I don't think we've said a bad word about anything so far. No, not not so far. All right, shall we go on to the next track? Yes, let's do it. Which is just like we break down, and this certainly at the start has got lots of eighties hip hop R and B influences. The hive mind strikes again, <laughs> and I I note I noted down like really eighties sounding. Bit of a Prince influence going on here. Yep. And uh, not anything to do with with 80s R&B or or, or funk, but there's a lovely bit of marimba on this as well. Gotta love a marimba. 
absolutely right you have. It's a touch of class. It is a touch of class. And it's something that we could have said on every track so far, certainly on Over and Over. The percussion on this album, Mm -hmm. phenomenal. And it's not often you say the percussion is phenomenal. But it is, it's, it's a really creative use of percussion on pretty much every track. Yeah, and it's all really creative and different sounding, but like it's not off-putting as well. It's perfectly blended with the with the music to, to make a much grander, expansive soundscape. Very much so. What I would say about this... So this is, as I mentioned in that quote earlier, one of the tracks that was remixed by DFA. And as much as I like... This original version, I much prefer the DFA remix. It's incredible. <laughs> so I've not heard the DFA remix. What what I will say about it, now I've used Washed Over Me before as a pejorative that I kind of I was a bit bored. And it, this is a different kind of washing over me. So I, I lost myself in it. Okay. But I enjoyed losing losing myself in the different sounds and stuff that that was going on. So it was a nice washing over, as opposed to like let's not let's not delve into that analogy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying, and yeah, I do prefer the remix because I, I've said previously I'm a git for a remix and I'm a git for anything James Murphy does. So there you go. I, I like this. I don't love it. It's a lot more stripped back than the four we've heard previously. So you do get you do get the harmonies come in during the chorus, but it still sounds quite a lot rawer than anything else. And I, I do not mean that as a criticism. I I like it, but there's a better version of it, so I don't love it. Fair enough. I, I, and that sounds really negative. I don't mean it to be overly so, but it's it's my least favourite of the five thus far. But that is far from saying that I didn't enjoy it. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. Okay, shall we move on to Chaparian? Yes, let's do it. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Chaparian. Apparently, it's about a uh, someone who was briefly uh, associated with the band, whose name was Chaparian. I uh, don't know what his surname was, or maybe that was his surname, no idea. Uh, and apparently he and Alexis Taylor had a massive falling out. Uh, and if you'd listen to the lyrics, it was quite a brutal falling out. I've hit you hard, it's time for some bounce. I've left a scar, there's blood in our dance. Yeah, he's not messing about that, is he? <laughs> he's not. And Alexis Taylor does not look like the kind of person to throw a punch. No, but it does look like that sort of little ra- the little ratty fellow that just isn't going to fucking let go once he started. Do you know what I mean? Like between the t- between the two of them, I wouldn't mess with Joe Goddard. Joe Goddard, <laughs> like I think, would absolutely twat the fuck out of me. Yeah, absolutely. But do you know what I mean about Alexis Taylor? He's like, <laughs> fuck off, will you? Like, just fucking stay down. <laughs> Just to be clear, not that I have any physical powers whatsoever, and if anyone even remotely physically threatened me, I'd be fucking legging it. So okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so you've got more great breakbeat rhythms throughout this. You've got some phenomenal hot chip synth noises, <laughs> including what sounds to me like a clearly startled cat punctuating each line of the verses. <laughs> And I mentioned the Sega Master System a few weeks ago. There's a really great bit on this, which sounds like it's the soundtrack to a boss level on the latest SNES fantasy platform game. (laughs) (laughs) So, I didn't like it. Really? I really like this one. 
I think possibly my issue. So I thought the their voices sounded great on it, and to be honest, like I think that that's got to be a given now from all the songs that we've had so far. I think the the slightly messy structure to the song lost me a wee touch. I found it to be a bit bitty, and mm. it felt like it went on for ages. Now maybe that's because I just wasn't enjoying myself um, okay. whilst listening to it. So I had a very different experience. I really like it. I, I think it's playful. I think it's fun. It's got a good funk to it. And there's a cheeky nerdiness to it, you know, sort of mock threatening. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is classic hot chip in a way because it's got that, as you, as we said earlier, you, you guys have got a sense of humour. This is very much tongue planted in cheek. There's a bit on it which sounds like it's played on a stylophone, which knowing Hot Chip, it probably is played on a stylophone. Yeah, more than likely. <laughs> no, I like this a lot. I never got the sense that it was dragging. I, um, I'm i not saying I could have done with more of it. I think it's it's ideally pitched. I'm surprised you didn't like this because I had a lot of fun listening to this trap. Okay, fair enough. Okay, look after me, Kev. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> a Hot Chip love song. A ballad? Yeah. With, again, with some really, really lovely lyrics. I find it hard to see your face day to day. Cannot remember it well enough. Only the details and such. Then I see it in my head. When I'm with you, it's familiar and beautiful. And I love it as I love you. And it's, I suppose it's the most thus far traditionally structured song. Yes. We always talk about albums. We talk about changes of paces. This is perfect. You've had a lot of different sort of grooves and things that you can dance to. This just brings it down a notch. And it's a, it's a really beautiful song and it's performed exceptionally. I agree. So it's not what you expect when you come to listen to a Hot Chip album, but it's a really nice song. And despite that, it doesn't feel out of place. It is a great change of pace, as you said. I think it's got more great harmonies. The, the harmonies are gorgeous on this. In fact, you know, more great mm-hmm. harmonies seems doing it a disservice. They're, they're beautiful. And that guitar part that weaves its way through the song mm-hmm. it, it, it's lovely. And then the strings at the end, again, you don't associate Hot Chip with emotive string parts, but there you go, right at the end of this. Yeah, I, I really like Look After Me. It's a, it's a really nice tune. Yeah, it really is. It's it's lovely. All right, though. I have nothing more to say about it, so shall we move on nope. to the title track? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, the warning. I love the juxtaposition of the, again, sorry, guys, laid back, pardon the pun, sound. You know, you've got genteel xylophones, glockenspiels, and what to me sounds like a very Air Moon Safari-inspired synth part. Mm-hmm. But then you've got a real tongue-in-cheek malice in the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just i love it least threatening band in the world as well absolutely hot chip will break your legs snap off your head hot chip will put you down under the ground <laughs> <laughs> this is quintessential hot chip this yeah. song it's got that knowing humor it's got that gorgeous percussive sound this sounds very Postal Service. I don't know if you're very familiar with, with any of Postal mm-hmm. Service's stuff, but this has got a real Postal Service sound to it. This. Uh, and whilst I don't have a great deal to read about it in terms of facts or anything, I just think this is another really, really not... I, it's hard to call it gorgeous because the lyrics are quite comical, but it kind of is. 
Well, the, th- the thing is about about all the sorts of hot chip songs, even the one that I didn't particularly like, is they they have a deceiving complexity to it. Mm. So it sounds initially like a really simple song, but there's so many disparate elements that come in and out, and the way it all knits together. They are masters of having a lo-fi groove. It doesn't have to be right bang up in your face, but you, it still grabs you there. And having that mad sort of middle eight, like the electro middle eight, like yes. again, just throws you a curveball that does. you're not expecting. Yeah, it's it's a pretty song as well. Like it's I, I'm such such a an admirer of their music craft because it's not just the songwriting it's not just the humor that they inject into it it's it's how they unexpectedly take you one way and then your journey goes somewhere else and it's yeah. it's great because they they're always interesting even if you don't like where you're going there's something to take from all of their songs i agree entirely interesting is the perfect word for it actually their songs are always interesting even if they don't immediately grab you and this is one of those. So, yeah, I suggest uh, we move on from that. Okay. Okay, arrest yourself, Kev. <laughs> Citizens arrest, or um, would you like me to... Um... Well, are, are you a warranted law enforcement officer? <laughs> You've seen that clip as well. <laughs> I'm just serving you with paperwork. I'm just serving you with paperwork. <laughs> Okay, so we mentioned Prince on the earlier track. Like, fucking hell, that guitar part here. It's pure Prince. It's proper Prince, isn't it? Massive, massive Prince vibes. It's got a great beat. And in the middle, you've got a really nice little jazz freak out as well, only for a few bars. But it just stops you dead, doesn't it? It's like, oh, fuck, there you go. We'll we'll just throw that in there just because we can. What a funky opening as well. It's great. And again, like, I th- here's the problem sometimes when we review these albums and that, that we find ourselves repeating ourselves. But again, this song is continually surprising. So like you say, a jazz freak out in the middle and then just goes back to the groove. Yeah. Just because just you can. Yeah. Like, it's brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. And at the risk, well, I'm not, I'm not going to repeat myself because I'm going to move us on in a second because I don't have anything more particular to say about this other than I really like it. It's really short. But it's another real toe tapper. It's another one that gets in your head. It's another one that's playful and lighthearted. It's one that when I initially heard the album, I didn't really respond to. But having gone back now and revisited it, is is one that I'm uh, very much fond of. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are absolutely racing through, but but you know th- there you go. So as always, Kev, it is so glad to see you. That's not what most people say. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to bring the tone down a bit now and I'm going to read some of the lyrics. When we come together, then we meet other souls and then we make our goodbye and we lay our bones to rest as birds we dream of the sky. Please let me go. If you've ever lost someone close to you, then this song and those lines in particular, they pack a real emotional gut punch. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was incredibly moved by this song it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's it's lovely (laughs) well and the thing is is it's how do i put this it's got that kind of emotional gut punch but in a velvet glove yeah that you've got this (laughs) 
give you a reach around whilst it's doing it. <laughs> I've brought the tone massively down now. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> so again, it's got this kind of lo-fi, funky vibe to it that with that kind of low-key opening, but it, it continues that groove throughout, but then you've got that emotional gut punch of the lyrical content, and it it's like a turd wrap with a, <laughs> wrapped with a bow. <laughs> <laughs> with glitter. Yeah, that's hard. Describing this song as a turd. (laughs) Well, what I mean is, it's like it's got it's got like a like a harder kind of like message to it, but it's it's something like they managed to beautify even something that's that's quite difficult and painful. Yes, I know, I know what you mean, and I say I I um I was really moved by this song. There's another great beat in it, quite trip hoppy in a way, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that vocoded part, again, to me, draws inspiration from some of the tracks on Moon Safari that we, that we went through a long time ago. Yeah, I was really moved by this. I really love it. It's gorgeous. And yeah, I stand out for me, this one. No, it's a, it's a, it's a great song. All right. Uh, so we're on to the, the, the last track proper. Um, although there is a hidden track which we'll we'll go on to, but the last track proper is No Fit State, and this is one complete pitch shift tonally and and lyrically to what we just went through on So Glad to See You. This is one that's almost evoke well not almost I think it is directly evoking the so this is two thousand and six so we recorded in in in, in late two thousand and five so you're basically immediately post the seven seven attacks in the u k around about this time there was the whole plot in airports which meant we've ever since had to have little tubes of toothpaste in a polythene bag you know I think this is evoking that sense of paranoia over everything that was going on in the u k at that time i mean the the synth opening is pure menace mm. and that that menacing tone sort of grows throughout the song. Well, it does, but then it flips about halfway through and it becomes yeah. a, a, a sort of, again, another joyous, uplifting rhapsody that invites you to just throw a few more shapes on the dance floor before, before the album draws to a close, you know. So I've got to say that you were very taken with the with the last song and, you know, with perfectly good reason. This was possibly one of my favourites off the album. There's so many different elements mm-hmm. coming in and out of it, and I like the I like the juxtaposition between the darkness of the opening and the the joyous ending. As you know, that I do like a dark a darker song anyway. Yeah. So yeah, they like I thought this was absolutely great and a fucking great way to end the album properly. Yeah, I I, I agree. I agree. It is a great way to end the album couple more things that i want to say about about what i got from it really 18th since in fact i think the main riff could pretty much have been written by vince clark to be honest with you going back to our last clash but then you've you've also got some really sort of jagged staccato guitar parts throughout it which are very very 80s as well i actually think this has got a little bit of a whiff of calvin harris about it Again, that would have been a perfectly reasonable clash to compare Hot Chip to, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's no bad thing, that Calvin Harris comparison, as far as I'm concerned, at least. Whilst I perhaps don't feel as fondly about it as you, I do really like this, and I do think it's a very good way to end the uh, the, the album, although it doesn't actually end the album. No. <laughs> 
Uh, well, should, so so there is a hidden track. It's called "Won't Wash," uh, and by your tone there, I, I get the impression that you're not a fan. I don't know. Like, I didn't absolutely despise it. I just thought it was a really odd sounding song in quite a weird way. To, but like, it's a it's a hidden track, so you can fuck about a bit. Like, I do have to say that one of the benefits of the digital revolution in music is the ending of the hidden track bollocks. <laughs> like because like that was just really fucking annoying. Yeah, it was. Hold that thought for next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for me, it's not necessarily the hidden tracks themselves, but it's the and this is what this isn't an example of that because it's only a few seconds, but fifteen minutes of silence before. Like, do you remember holding the fucking fast forward button down on the CD? Come yeah. on, come on! Oh shit, I've missed it. Really annoying. So I agree with you there. I really like this. I agree it catches you off guard. I agree it's unsettling. I think it's all deliberate, actually. Mm-hmm. I think they've they've played you out on what becomes a joyous song. And I think there's a... We're not done yet. I think this is really, really interesting and effective coder. Everything is slightly off key with everything else. And I think that's entirely deliberate. It sounds like, A, firstly, it sounds like it could be the soundtrack to an art house film about a sinister toy shop where there's a possessed wind-up <laughs> But it also, it sounds like a slightly mangled music box that still kind of works. <laughs> I like it. I found it a really interesting way to append what you've just listened to and just, oh, okay. And again... I think that speaks to them and to their mindset about eschewing. We've mm-hmm. talked about eschewing traditional song structures. We're going to eschew traditional album structures as well. That The thing we're going to leave you with is a bit jarring. It's not my favourite track, but I like it a lot. So, you know, whilst I'm not massively keen on it, it's not like waiting 15 minutes to hear the false. No, it is not like waiting 15 minutes to hear the fuzz. <laughs> or to hear Tim Wheeler uh, vomit, uh, if you remember the secret track at the end of 1977. I've completely forgotten about that. I, I will never, ever, ever forget the first time I heard Sick Party. Because, and here's a story. So, the end of Ash's debut album, 1977, the hidden track is called Sick Party, and it's literally the band making themselves throw up. It's fucking awful, honestly. The first time I bought 1977 when it came out, and I put it on quite late at night, and I fell asleep with my headphones on, <laughs> and I was woken up <laughs> with the lights off and everything to the sound of Tim Wheeler fucking chundering his guts out. It honestly <laughs> nearly made me, oh God. All I'm going to say is I've never, ever listened to Sick Party again after that first listen. And I never will. It's horrible. Because <laughs> why would you want to? Exactly. Horrible. Uh, anyway, that's enough about uh, people making themselves sick. I apologise, listeners, if that's made you feel queasy. Hidden tracks can get in the bin. Hidden tracks can get in the bin, but not this one. Yeah. It's a 90s, 2000s thing that just, I'm glad that it that it hasn't continued. Well, it... It was CDs can fit up to 80 minutes of sound on them. So let's make the most of it. That's what it was. Yeah. We've got a 45 minute album. Let's make the most of the extra storage space we've got on there. That's all it was. And yeah, fuck off. For for something that wasn't, that you didn't feel was good enough for the album. Yep, absolutely. What I will say about 1977 is that they redeemed themselves by putting Uncle Pat and Petrol as uh, hidden tracks if you press rewind 
at the start of Lose Control, which was a good move. Do you remember that? <laughs> anyway, there's also a hidden track on one of the um, Radio Soulwax ones where you rewind backwards. I don't think it's, it's, it's Kylie, Kylie Minogue. Yeah, yeah. So actually, some hidden tracks were good, but most of them were shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Okay. That. Well, I say right. Okay. That takes us to the end of the warning. Flown through. We have flown through. I- I've had a lovely time listening to that. Yeah, the vast majority of my time was incredibly enjoyable and I was losing myself in the groove. Mm, absolutely. Shall we hear what some other people have to say about the album, Kev? I mean, with due um, preparation to be annoyed by a certain professor. Yeah, and with good reason. But anyway, let's, let's <laughs> go. Okay, so contemporary reviews generally were positive. So in The Enemy, Stephen Worthy said... The South West Londoners' second album is underpinned by a fuck-you attitude fueled by past ambivalence towards them. But they can rest easy now because surely their moment has come. It's about time somebody started shouting out loud about Hot Chip, inhabiting the wild savannah in the rock dance hinterland where the likes of DFA, who've signed them to their label stateside, imperiously roam. They are prince-adoring, R&B-loving, two-step-worshipping electro-funkers with a cheeky attitude who inject you with a special potion. A potion to make you dance, think and have a little chuckle at the same time. They have pulled off the trick of not taking things too seriously, but yet still produce some seriously good music. I'm not finished yet. It's far too early to say whether they will reach the same lofty heights, but there's something of new order in Hot Chip. There's the same mix of art school meets working man demeanour, an unabashed acknowledgement of the debt popular music owes to Clubland, and a wry lyrical conceit. Okay, so... Don't hear new order there. There's no new order there at all. I agree with the sentiments. Uh, amazingly, guys, that is not the most NME review that I'm going to read over this clash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it is extremely enemy, isn't it? Oh, fucking hell it is, yeah. Uh, Okay, so Leonie Cooper in The Guardian wrote, Despite looking like five trainee chemistry teachers, good line, Hot Chip have managed to deliver a second album that gives bleak electronica some much-needed heart and soul, veering between the laid-back subtlety of the opening track Careful to the funk-soul mashup of Over and Over, with its quirky lyrical homage to repetition. The London Ravers bring together the brash and the understated in a way that is innovative as it is pleasurable. Occasionally, things take a misguided turn into the 1980s, as on the bleeping rather slack Chapari, and so she agreed with you on that. But that's a small, forgivable folly in otherwise fantastic collection of new dance Hmm. so in the Rolling Stone Christian Horde was slightly more measured in his praise he said that the second album from this London outfit is a shape-shifting electronic record with an overstuffed brain and a warm heart as if Bell and Sebastian had hooked up with Aphex Twin Another good line. The warning bubbles over with ideas packed grooves from the eerie music box accompaniment of Won't Wash to Japarian, a minimalist cut with popping percussion, synth squeals and a stutter step break beat. Not all the ideas connect, but the tunes are plenty inviting. Over and over shows Hop Chip aren't above dance pop fun, setting an insistent pulse and serrated riffs under a catchy chorus that sums up the song's hypnotic effect. I think that's pretty on the nose, actually. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good review. It kind of covers everything, really. And the last one I want to read before we get on to his nobbiness is Johnson Walker in Gigwise. 
Quite pithily, he wrote, If one thing's for certain with Hot Chip, it's that they've delivered with their sophomore album. Despite giving possibly the most unconvincing threat on record ever heard on the album title track, as we keep iterating, the record is a gem. Sounding like the Postal Service with a much less tormented younger cousin of Ian Curtis on vocals, every track is a pop perfection, pure and simple. They may not have much to say, but does the world really know the need of Pete Doherty or Bono mouthing off? We think the answer is a short, sharp, resounding no. I like that. I mean, you can certainly agree with any kind of sentiment that says, does the world need another Pete Doherty or Bono? No. No, the the world definitely does not need another one of either one of them. <laughs> There's an argument to suggest that the the world doesn't need one Pete Bono. <laughs> Bono is more than enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, shall we go on to Nobby? Unfortunately, yes. What I will say is it is a lot shorter than usual from Nobby. Okay, so I'm not going to go on for minutes on end. Well, there's that. He liked it. Nobby liked it, which is good, I think. (laughs) Right, so Robert Criscow said, There's nothing in a world where the melody is broken. There's always some way to make silence be spoken. They promise sweetly toward the end of a title track, where they also threaten to break your legs and snap off your head. With their tricky two-step beats, Mind the Gap, just before comes the notably sane and sincere love plea, Look After Me. Reciprocity guaranteed. So, okay so far, I would say. Mild and honest, sometimes too mild and too modest. They humanise Dast Kraftwerk and tenderise ye oldy rewind. Oh, Nobby. So, so, so close to a genuine, concise review that actually just talks about what you think of the music. And then you just got to go and fucking ruin it with that. Just because he cannot help himself, he thinks. No, he can't help himself. Like in his head, it is the entire world is waiting for the thoughts of Professor Nobby Criscow. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're never going to get past that because the music is incidental to his musings upon it. Absolutely, as we have said before, he has to write something which shows us just how clever he is. He fucking isn't. <sighs> No, he isn't at all. But anyway, that's Nobby done. Shall we go on to some legacy? Yeah, I think we should. Right, okay. In terms of what happened to Hot Chip, so immediately after the album came out, they embarked on a tour of America in March of 2006. Felix Martin wasn't able to participate because he had a severe illness. So according to Alexis Taylor in an interview with Gigwise, he said, we had to figure out how to do his parts whilst we did our own. Thankfully, we did have LCD sound systems driver, Pat Mahoney, on hand to help us through with Felix not being there, which is nice. So their third album, uh, Made in the Dark, was released in February 2008. That was a, a big commercial and critical success. It reached number four in the UK, reached number 109 on the US Billboard Hot, to, Hot 200. Uh, and again, it was certified gold in this country. The single Ready for the Four was nominated for a Grammy for Best Dance Recording. That's because it's great and it should probably have won, although I don't know what did win. They went on a world tour in 2008-2009 and then their fourth album, One Knife Stand, was released in January of 2010. Which is a cracking album. Uh, So to date they have released seven albums, most recently 2019's brilliantly titled A Bath Full of Ecstasy. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and their most recent release was in October of 2020, their, the non-album single Straight to the Morning, which featured Jarvis Cocker on vocals. Lovely stuff. Yeah, it's it. Well, I don't know if you've heard it. It is lovely stuff. It's really good. I like it a lot. They're still together. They're still touring. They're a mainstay of the festival scene worldwide. So they've played multiple times at Glastonbury, Reading and Leeds, Ross Kilder. They've also played the likes of Sonar, Benny Cassim, Big Day Out, Lollapalooza, and Coachella. So, you know, they, they are... Chances are, if you're going to one of the big festivals this summer, you might well see Hot Chip on there. You will have a lovely time because they are excellent live. I've never seen Hot Chip live, so I have to take your word for that. So I have seen them at a festival and they were they were good. Uh, so I would say with Hot Chip, they're one of the few mainstays of their era. Yeah, they, they're one of the few um, who managed to hang around and have a sustained yeah. career. Yeah, absolutely. And whilst they've never achieved megastardom, I would say they're one of the most respected and revered acts that are around today. Mm-hmm. You know, they've worked with the likes of Katy Perry, for God's sake. You know, so they've they've worked with megastars. Well, and, you know, like Joe Goddard's had his own sort of solo work and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, you know, the... It's really good Joe Goddard's solo stuff. It is. And um, obviously, as we sort of alluded to earlier, one of their members went off to perform with James Murphy and uh, be- yep. became part of LCD Sound System. Indeed. Okay, so on all that, I would like to read, and this is a fairly long quote, but I think it's a really interesting one, from Al Doyle in, in an interview with The Independent in 2019 to promote the release of Bath Full of Ecstasy. He said, We've had this very gentle exponential arc Every time we've stepped up, it's been the right time to do it. There's never been a meteoric, suddenly we're household names situation. Neither has there been, like, a shitty album that has reduced our kudos. This is the thing. The bulk of our career was in this completely seismic, disastrous change to the music industry. Our management used to say to us, look, if you'd been releasing records two or three years earlier, your career would be totally different. We started right when illegal file sharing was kind of at its peak. No comment. That was my word, no comment. (laughs) The record industry was not reacting quickly enough to that threat, and there was just not very much money around. In fact, I don't know whether a band like Hot Chip would even be signed to a major label these days. At that point, it was the edge of when the majors had just a lot of money to throw around, and they were able to take chances on stranger bands like us. I've got no idea how we would do if we were suddenly back in our early 20s. But I suppose this is just a slightly bit of ramblings of a 40-year-old guy. That, to me, there's so much we could mm-hmm. get into there. And we've not got the time to, but there's a load we could get into there about. We talked before about the impact that, that file sharing had when we went through the strokes and Interpol. So I'm not going to get into that. But but I think, as I said, these are one of the few mainstays of that era. You know, who from that time has achieved lasting mainstream success? Mm-hmm. The Arctic Monkeys, definitely. Well, I suppose the Arctic Monkeys were a little before this. Uh, only a year, only a year. No, in fact, not even a year, no. Because I said it was it was nominated for the Mercury Prize. What won the Mercury Prize when this was nominated was whatever you say, and that's what I'm not but saying. The, the, what I would say is that the buzz around the Arctic Monkeys was happening a year before that. Okay, fine. But, you know, let's, from, from, the, from the early 2000s, or the mid-2000s, let's mm-hmm. call it, Definitely the Arctic Monkeys. Adele, very different style, but but she was she rose to prominence in that era. Who else from that era? 
in Britain is still a mainstay today. I, I, I well, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What what I would certainly say is that if a hot chip was coming to prominence now, they would be lost because no major is going to take a gamble on such a weird band. And the the other the other element is because, and we've talked about this before, because you have access to all the music at once. Hot Chip would find an audience. I th- I'm convinced of that. So I'm but... glad you've said that because I'm not sure I fully agree with your point that they would be lost. We are in the era of where the majors have lost control of what is being released. And that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned because you have people putting out their own material. Look at Lord being the prime example. She put her own album out. Billie Eilish put her own album out, went massive. We have the power to do, literally do this in our bedrooms now, which these guys did, in fairness to them. So actually, I think, would they have the longevity that they've had? Because that's what that's the point I wanted to make, is that the fact that they, over 15 years later, are still so revered, they've carved themselves out a, a very respectable niche, is testament to their craft, their talent, their creativity, their innovation. I think if they were starting out now, they would have a good platform from which to establish themselves. Yes, but yes, they they might be able to carve out a niche. However, would they be able to to develop as they as they have done? Would they be able to mm. have like have the longevity? Because the difficulty is is that yes, it is easier to release your music, arguably. However, because it's so easy to do so, it's harder to break out like over and over probably would like if it was if it was just released now probably would have maybe broken through but would they have got there because the first album's different and they they need that time to develop i don't know like it's a it's a it's a hard thing to say that they may have plowed a slightly more lonely furrow um had they been released released now okay you may be right, and we'll we'll never know. I think the point is that they were, in a way, they were unlucky at the time they came about. And I think that's the point that Aldor was making in the, in that quote. And I, but as I said, the fact that they have carved themselves out a niche, and the fact that they are now so respected and so sought after in terms of collaborations, etc., is a testament to their craft. Well, I think when we, when we go on to to our clash next week we can talk about the flip side the yeah. hot chip managed to find long- longevity our other side of the clash not so much. did not yeah yeah indeed all right okay uh i am done on legacy me too okay what's your best song what's your worst song oh so i'll start with worst song um so i'm not going to i'm not going to like do the hidden track because that's stupid so I'm going to go with Chapardian. Whilst there are things to like about it, the, it's slightly unconventional structure didn't work for me, is what, is what I'll say. Okay, fair enough. What about your best song? Best song, um, No Fit State. Over and over is the obvious choice, and it is, it is an absolute belter. Um, but I didn't want to be Johnny Obvious this week, and No Fit State, I think, is an absolutely brilliant piece of work it has that dark menacing element to it then it complete flips it and goes ends joyous and it's not a jarring change 
that you can manage to go from one mood to another without the listener really being you know dragged out of the out of the song it's it's a great piece of work and i I thought it was wonderful fair enough so two different choices for me so i'll do my worst song first as well Uh, and i've struggled to pick a worst song on this because i like all of them but i'm gonna go with just like we break down because I don't love it. Okay. And that's all I can say. And there's a version of it that I prefer. So I'm going to pick that one as my as my worst song. My favourite was a really tough choice. Yes, as you said, over and over is an indie disco staple. It's a real earworm. It's a banger. I love it. It's a great tune. As I said, I was really moved by So Glad to See You. Uh, I think it's a beautiful piece of music and really poignant in the lyrics. I think Boy From School, uh, it's it's got that brilliant combination of, of beauty and dance floor positivity. But there was one track on this album that I've gone back to again and again and again, as you said, with the two albums we went through over the last couple of weeks, and that is Colours. Mm-hmm. I just find it relentlessly joyous, as I've said a few times about about other songs on previous clashes, but that's what it is. It makes me smile every time I listen to it. It makes my heart sing every time I hear it. I love it. And so Colours is my favourite track on this album. Fair enough. It's, It's an excellent choice. Okay, then. I think we're about done with Hot Chip. Yeah, I think we are. Uh, so, just remind people again, Kev, what we are going to be listening to and talking about next week. So, next week we will be going through the Claxons' debut album, Myths of the Near Future. Okay, great stuff. Uh, before then, however, as always, please could you tell people how they might keep in touch with what we are doing. So, um, sometimes we we have a bit of fun when we're talking about about how to keep in touch with us, but I'm going to be serious for a second and make a bit of a public service announcement. So this week we have, there's a lot, there's a lot of things gone on the week that we recorded and, you know, we've heard about people being ambushed by cake. And what I'd like to say is as a public service announcement that you can send messages to our Twitter, at clash album. If you've been menaced by a macaron, if you've been battered by a Battenberg, please get in touch. This is a public service announcement. We're here for you. <laughs> Bravo. Well done. <laughs> you didn't know where I was going. I then. did not know where you were going. <laughs> uh, so so well how, how how can they how can they, they approach us with their with their ta- tales of, of cake miscreancy? If you've had a cake malady, you can contact us at Clash Album. If you like carefully curated Norman Cook approved content yet again, you can come to us at Clash Album. Or if you're resolutely old school, you can send us your cake recipes to <laughs> albumclash at gmail.com. What a week. I, I, I felt for you this week because there's been so much for you to choose from. <laughs> there the has, and I've, I've, I really had to narrow it down. <laughs> Oh, great stuff. Uh, Yes, but please, uh, if you have been ambushed by cake, then uh, you are not alone. Don't suffer alone. You know, come to us. Also, share your tales as well as your uh, appreciation for this podcast with other people. Like, subscribe, tell everyone about us, leave ratings, leave reviews, 
all that stuff. Listen to the Claxons' debut album for next week. But until then, I have been Tim. I have been your counsellor. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. Ta-da. Ta-da. Bye.